0: Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Startup Sales. Today, we have Matt Millen joining us, and he is a former uh, race car driver. So it's really interesting. He was a race car driver, and he went into sales. So he's going to be sharing what he learned about driving and racing and the mindset behind that to becoming a salesperson and winning in sales. So really interesting story uh really a lot of good methodology that he's going to cover today and a lot to learn a lot that you could actually take uh take to yourself and take personally and put implement in your day to day uh life so really looking forward to today's episode of matt enjoy startup sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Before we start today's episode with Matt, I wanted to ask everyone a favor. If you could please go and, and rate and review this podcast on iTunes and share this within your community and your social media, it would really help us get the word out. So please go and share and review us. It would be really helpful in growing this podcast and getting more great guests like Matt. Let's, uh, let's start this conversation. All right, Matt, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here with you, Adam. So I'm really excited to have this conversation because uh, you and I actually got to speak a couple of weeks back and I know some of the content that you want to bring up on, on this call, so very excited. Can, can you start with telling people a little bit about your background? Because I, I think that's exciting on its own.
1: Uh, absolutely. I've been selling and in the field of sales for 33 years now. I started selling before technology, no email, no internet uh, and had the privilege and the opportunity to be part of some great organizations, some exciting teams and learn how to be a modern seller along the way. Uh, I've made every mistake at least once uh, and had some great victories along the way and I look forward to sharing what I've learned uh, with what I can do with the folks that we're talking with today.
0: Great. So. One of our conversations before, uh, you shared a really great quote and story uh, with me. And I want to start with that because I think that's fantastic. And the quote was, uh, make winning happen. Can you dive into that?
1: Yeah, what I've learned is, look, in the end, everybody wants to win. Companies need to win to move forward, especially early stage organizations that are launching great ideas and innovation into their marketplace, building a category. Sales leaders need to win. Salespeople, everybody needs to win. Uh, Not everybody does. Uh, Not everybody is committed to winning at the same level. Uh, Not everybody has the same will, skill, and drill. Uh, And what most important to me is to be part of an organization that's both committed to winning uh, and and driving and make winning happen. And and we'll share uh, in our conversation today uh, things that I believe assist in that. But I I like to call it winning against the odds. Because the odds are you won't win. And, And what do I mean by that? You know, it takes seven no's to get a yes. It takes 15 touches to get a response. If you convert at 25%, then you get three losses for every one win. And today, sadly, half the reps in America don't make their number. So. That is against the odds. And then I would argue that it gets even a little bit more challenging for today's leader because you are in an environment where you're driving high accountability, you're rolling out constant change. And today's workforce is made up of three, maybe four generations that have different need structures and value systems. And when you layer all that together and you're responsible and you're accountable for making winning happen,
2: you've got to work at it. Absolutely.
0: I, th- I think that's so, so true. And you say that's half the odd, half the salespeople aren't meeting their quota. You think that's because the quotas are too high, or you think that's because uh, <laughs> they don't have the right attitude and they don't have the right tool sets?
1: I don't think there's one answer for that question. I think it's conde- contextual, I think
2: it's situational. I also believe it's avoidable.
0: Okay. Uh, and what do, you, what do you mean by it's avoidable?
1: Well, I think when we'll get into some of the methodologies uh, that will roll out, I think there's an opportunity for more than half the reps to make their number.
2: Okay. Interesting. I
1: think think there's a, I think there's rigor and discipline uh, that's needed uh, in a sales process, not to the degree where everybody's a robot. uh, But I think, you know, right now, I'm not sure when this is going to play, but we're in the middle of this Corona 19, you know, we're all sequestered. And I actually think this is bringing out like the best of us. Uh, this is actually, we're building muscle right now. Uh, people that have discipline and rigor are thriving, figuring out how to work remotely. I'm not suggesting this is easy or fun, but I think this is a massive test of organizational strength, rigor. Uh, companies have great process that are extending that into the home environment are being much more successful uh, than those that don't.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, because you, you have to, uh, you're no longer going to sit there and have the, uh, the cooler chat. Uh, you actually have to get work done and, and make a move and, and make progress. That's right. Yeah. All right. Um, you had an interesting job before that you, <laughs> you, uh, you left out. I don't know if it was on purpose or not uh, of your, uh, your introduction. You, you want to jump into there?
1: Yeah, back uh, back in my early days, I actually had two two jobs. Well, one was a job, one was an addiction, and I started racing cars uh, at the same time that I got into selling uh, in the late '80s. And when I got on the racetrack competitively, uh, I learned I learned a lot very quick because I wanted to win on the racetrack as much as I wanted to win in other areas of my life. And I recognized on the racetrack that there was actually more bad luck than good luck. And you had to figure out, like, what was going on very quickly. For instance, there were things that I controlled, you know, if I hit the brakes too early or if I hit the brakes too late, I'd either go off the track or lose a lot of speed. If I turned in too early or if I turned into a corner too late, I'd go off the track or lose a lot of speed. Then I could have mechanical issues that could take me out of the race. You know, I could blow a tire, I could blow a motor. But here's where it got even crazier is that cars around me, if they hit the brakes too early or too late, they could take me out of the race. If cars around me turned at the wrong time, they could take me out of the race. And if a car around me blew a motor, blew a tire, they could take me out of the race. I mean, that, that was like a lot to deal with. It was, there was a lot of environmental things going on that could take me out of the race and it was very expensive to be in that race. And you had to figure out, like, real quick, what, what can I control, like, to enhance my chances of, of not only finishing the race, but, you know, ending up on a podium. So, I came down to three Be Number
0: things. one, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, staying out front sure has better air. But there are three things that I could control. Number one, the amount of money that I invested and my sponsors invested in my car. That would make me go faster, turn better, stop better, and keep me safer. So, the investment in myself and my equipment. Number two, the amount that I practice. And I think this goes back to like winning. Like I used to practice a ton. For every one lap of racing, I would do seven to eight laps of practice. And third is preparation. Like the amount of preparation that you do before a competition. And then when I got into sales, like it was a very similar parallel. There was more bad luck than good luck in selling. Like, things could happen to my buyer. My buyer could get a, a transfer. They could get fired. Uh, the competitor could do something crazy. Market conditions, like right now, could shift dramatically overnight. All things, uh, you know, beyond my, like, immediate ability, let alone my own ability. So, I'm like, okay, what are the three things that I can control and sell it? And I came up with a methodology called SAM, Story, Activity, and Mindset. So the first thing I control are the words that come out of my mouth.
2: And we'll talk more about this, but like it is really important what you say and how you say it. Number two, the
1: activity. A is for activity or the actions that you're taking all day long. Like being really busy, doing the right things at the right time with the right conversion ratios. And then third M, mindset or attitude. Like, attitude, and your attitude defines everything, and I have a lot of fun talking about attitude, but it's like your personal accountability to what you're doing. Like, your attitude toward the company, your attitude toward your job, your attitude toward your quota. Like, do you believe it's a moral imperative to take your product to market? Because sometimes you have to care more about your customer in that moment than they care about themselves.
0: (laughs) Yeah, very true. I I like that a lot, the, the story activity mindset. But I also like the the IPP that you you said before that as well. So invest, practice, and preparation. I think that very much goes into this this uh, this Sam mindset as yeah. well. But what, whatever that standard, that's kind of more activity, no.
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is, just before we move in, is that I believe there are three fields of play. And I'll explain what I mean by this. And and many, many sales leaders focus on the game time field. Like most coaches, most leaders, they're showing up and they're managing their team in real time in the sales day, call by call, activity by activity, deal by deal. And and they're, they're managing the game. And, and I believe it's too late if you manage the game. The second field of play is your practice field and I'm a huge believer in practice and preparation. I'm a huge believer that if you've got a big call, like on my team, if we've got a big enterprise presentation, we will practice for two weeks, like we'll role play the meeting. And we don't talk about how how we're going to do the slides, we talk. we do the slides, like we do the introductions, uh, we handle the tough objections. And when we get into the meeting, we're super prepared. We're super comfortable. Uh, but the third field of play, I think, is the one that's missed and potentially the most dangerous, which is the locker room, which is where, like, how you're managing the culture, how you're building the culture, like, the pe- like how the health of your team's attitude, because that will drive how they practice, and how they practice will drive how they play game time. And I think more than ever, like, it's really important as leaders that we, we manage all three of these fields, but we have a healthy locker room. I mean, the most disastrous example was the New York Jets when their quarterback came in and one of the linemen broke his jaw in the locker room and took him out for the season. I mean, think about that. That's a locker room issue. That's not no one's practicing hard. That's not we're not performing during game time. That's crap in the locker room that's 100% avoidable. It's a lack of leadership and it's a lack of control. And quite frankly, just, it's a lack of culture.
0: Yeah, very much. I just, uh, just yesterday I had a meeting with a client and their sales team. And uh, we were doing a pipeline review. One of their salespeople came into the, the pipeline review late said, I'm really busy, I've got a lot to do, can I go first? And then left after she explained where her pipeline's at. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, wow, what, like, what an attitude to have and like, what, how demoralizing and, and demotivating for the rest of the team to be like that.
1: Yeah. You know, standards, you know, standards become what you tolerate. You know, many, many people talk about expectations. And you don't get what you expect. You get what you tolerate. And the only way to get more would be to tolerate less. it's It's not acceptable. So, there's just certain behaviors, certain rituals, certain standards. And again, this comes back to culture. You know, this comes back from a leadership perspective. You know, do your players show up on time for practice? And do they practice hard? Do they win? Do they follow the playbook? When you call a play, do they run the play? I mean, this, this all comes back to culture, like the kind of culture you're, bit, you're building and high performing teams have amazing culture. The culture drives our behavior. Like we don't, we don't need to bark at people or micromanage
2: people. The culture creates the desired behavior. Very much. I really agree with that.
0: Back to, back to the SAM methodology, yeah. story activity mindset. How, if I'm an early stage company, how can I build this into my company?
1: Uh, it's a great question. I think with the early stage, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out in many cases how to build that great sales process. You know, so ultimately, as you start to scale, you have this repeatable methodology. And one of the great things to do when you think about how you sell is to think about how your customer buys. So as you go going to market, focus less on your sales process, focus more on the customer's buying process. So early stage, you've got a couple wins, you've got some lighthouse customers. Take the time to really understand what the problem they had was and how they went about solving. And then you build your process around that. You build your story around that. Like, what's the conversation you have with people that look just like that to end up in a conversation with this interest in your product or service, early stage or not? Understanding the objections. And by the way, there's three or four objections that are going to come up 90% of the time. Everybody on the team needs to know these cold. You drill them every morning. You have fun with them. If you don't get asked the objections, you're disappointed because you are so ready to answer them. <laughs> you tell, you tell like the that. story. Yeah, you tell the founder's story. You know, what a like, just, it's a great, it's a great, like, people drink out of the, the founder's fountain of, like, wisdom. Like, there's a reason that this early stage company exists because somebody saw a better way to do something, like, a, or a different way, or there was a gap in the marketplace. Like, Uber found a better way for Ride for Hire, and Netflix found a better way to get your content. Like, there were amazing companies out there that, that found a better way. And early stage, like, par- part of bringing that idea to market is having that story. Like, why we're doing what we're doing. Identifying with the pain in an innovative way. And I think having the organization, especially everybody in your go-to-market teams, you know, really aligning on that story. There's one story. And we tell it with passion. We tell it with conviction. We tell it with energy. and We tell it as many times as we possibly can. Because in the end, there are three things you're doing in in the story stage. Number one, you're building rapport, which is really getting permission to go on. And you do that very early on. The second thing you're doing is you're establishing relevance. Meaning, I need to be talking about something that's important to you, or you don't have time for me. And that's okay. Like, if I can't help you, I shouldn't be taking your time. But the third stage, which is where the money is made, is credibility. I can like you. You can be talking about something that's important to me. But I have to believe that you're credible. I have to believe that working with you, you're the the right solution. Because in many cases, decision makers have a lot of political capital at risk with who they choose to solve that problem. So you've got to be credible. In early stage, uh, with limited wins, you, know, you really got to think about how you're going to be relevant and credible uh, in your talk track.
2: It's really interesting um, because
0: I hate telling the story of the founders when I'm selling. And, but I see how, like, I, I know how important it is to have that story and to believe it yourself, but to actually take the time and, and explain it to them. I always have found that it, it bores them, and that there's other ways to relay the story throughout conversation. Uh, what do you What do you say? What do you? I, mean, I don't. Not what do you say for that? It's not a challenge, but uh, what What do you think?
2: I,
1: I think I think you're right. Like I, it depends on the story. It depends on where you're inserting it. Uh, I tend to find. Like early stage companies, you know, founders do a lot of the initial selling and there are so many great stories and so many great experiences that come out of that. Uh, and just the way the ideas get formulated initially, I, I think there are ways to wrap that in and to be creative with it. And I, and in many cases, the problem you're solving for your buyer, like they, they get the problem and I find that they're curious about this new way to solve it. And the story around it really opens up possibility.
0: Yeah. I li- and I like that because it's like about the problem, like uh, really focus on that problem. And that's how the story evolves is it, it, around the problem that the buyer is having.
2: Yeah. No problem, no sale.
0: Yeah, very much. All right, and so we got the story down. What about activity?
1: Yeah, you know, activity, this is where I really believe we have one of those big gaps where half the team doesn't make their number. I I don't believe we're generally busy enough today. I, I just don't. Like, we've got sales engagement platforms that amplify our activity. Like, we've got so much technology, but but I don't believe that we're just Busy enough today, you know, as sales in general. I think there's a, that, you know, where did the five after five go? You know, when I was selling, you, we used to make five calls after five, like it was sport. Uh, and I, <laughs> I just think there's so much opportunity uh, to be busy and, and not to use technology as a crutch. Technology is critical today, uh, but it's not a crutch. And I think really understanding at the rep level, you know, your specific conversion ratios on the steps you take. Staying on top of your opportunities, staying on top of the calls, whatever your tasks are. Like fall in love with your task lists. Like hate your pillow so you wake up early and then fall in love with your task list. Like do your tasks. Make your calls. Follow up. Like think about your opportunities every day and what can you do to keep these moving forward. Like super important and I just think there's a tremendous opportunity to, to drive activity. And if it's not fun, go, go do something else. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, you're, you're in the wrong profession.
1: You know, I tell everybody, like, you get paid twice in sales. This is the beauty of selling. And it's why I originally went into sales. You get paid twice. You get a base salary. And then at the end of the month, based on the quality of your work, you get paid again in commission.
0: So, hopefully, the, more in the commission.
1: Right. And the base salary is for you doing your work every day, doing, you know, running the process the right way. Enough time, and then the commission is your reward for being great. And when reps stop making their calls, like the company doesn't like factor in their paycheck by the amount of work they, the company's still paying. You got to do the
2: work. Like reps would be horrified if they if their base salary was cut for not doing the work. But we got to think
1: of it this way: like we got we got to do the work. And the other thing I'll see on activity is when you are interviewing for the job, either for the job or interviewing someone into the job. Everyone is committed to being great. Of course, I'll do the work. I'll be your best rep. I mean, you you hear it all. Uh, And then six months into the job, you know, there's a performance gap. There's an activity gap. And, you know, there's got to be a better contract, you know, between the hiring manager and the rep that they will promise to do the work. Like, and this comes back to culture, attitude that we'll get into, but, like, in the end, like, activity really matters.
2: And the
0: right, acti-
1: the right activity. The right activity. I also think it comes out of the right hire, especially early stage. You know, one of the great things about early stage is that there's a certain passion. Uh, like, people that are in that early stage environment uh, tend to be specifically passionate about that product, that solution, that service. Uh, and when you have, like, that association to the service, it's not a job. Like, if you're just there for a job, you'll burn out. Uh, yeah. If you're a career professional, uh, you'll be frustrated because there's not a lot of process there. It's figuring stuff out. But you tend to have, like, mission-driven or mission-oriented individuals early stage that are really passionate about what they're doing.
2: And for team members like that, nothing gets in their way. And those are the folks you want to be surrounded with. Yeah. I think um, also with activity,
0: uh, you know, kind of going back to the beginning of the conversation is so many, I've seen so many times they are death by meetings. And I know everybody jokes about that, but you're always stuck in meetings. And you, you talk about that we have so many new tools that free us up and take off some of the workload but then you start jumping into more and more meetings to discuss new tools and what else to do and, and you forget the basics like you were talking about just pick up the phone like do do the follow-up uh, so many times i whenever i would fall behind and then i would get caught back up on my activities my follow-ups i would notice all of a sudden like oh these these older deals that were in the pipeline of suddenly come back to life. All I had to do was email them or all I had to do was pick up the phone and ask right. how it's going. Yeah. Cool. All right. And so stories down, activities down, what about mindset?
1: Uh, that, this is, uh, for me, the most fun because like, the attitude is our belief system if we, if we think about it that way. Like what, what's our attitude toward the business? What's our attitude toward our quota? What's, what's our attitude? I'll give you an example. Like, like imagine if you came in in the morning and, and your belief was my company has my back. My company has the back of my customer. I have everything I need to win. Like imagine how your day
2: would go. It would go like this. You would, would you work harder? or not as hard with that belief system?
0: No, definitely harder.
1: Harder. And if you work harder with that attitude, will you get better results or
2: worse results?
0: For, for sure better.
1: Better. And when you get better results, does that reinforce your attitude?
2: It's and like it's, an endless it, loop.
1: It is an endless loop. But, but imagine someone coming in you know, with a shit attitude.
2: It happens. And with a bad attitude, are they going to take more or less action? Exactly. So you take
1: less action with a bad attitude. How, how result will that be? Like what kind of result are you going to get?
0: You know, it's funny you, you're saying this because I was just speaking to a group of people who were talking about all this corona that's going on and pe- people are stopped moving. And I told them, guys, we can't be so negative. Like, yes, there's definitely an impact. We can't s- say that there's not. But let's focus on what we can do right. instead of what we can't do. And let's make, let's make progress in other areas.
2: We did, a, we did a compete summit one time at a company I work for. And I asked the question, when you're going up against your competitor, how happy are they?
1: Like, are they, if you're competing for a deal, and, you know, and companies tend to compete against similar companies and get to know each other. But if you and I were competing, Adam, when you say, "Oh man, I'm psyched," Matt, Matt's representing this company, and you know, he, I I win five out of every six against Matt, or you're like, <laughs> "Holy crap!" Like, this is gonna be there's, tough. There's
0: no point, <laughs> right?
1: So, so the like, like you're like your attitude, your reputation, like who are you creating in yourself? So when you go into a deal, like the competition just fears you. And there's those on every team. There's, and there's other people that the competition loves, right? So, so like the, the attitude, the culture of the team is super important because you want to build a team of like these lethal sales assassins where there is no weak link on your team. There, there is no like person that can't compete at the highest level. And you know, th- this is, but a lot of that is how you take the field. Yeah. It really is. It's like how you approach the game determines so much on how you'll finish
2: within the game. And, and that's all you. I, earlier in my career, uh, I had a nickname,
0: the hammer, because I would strike every <laughs> nail that I, that I went towards. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important to, to keep positive, be, you know, because it, it's just like you said, it has an endless loop in it, and it's also contagious because then it will also affect your colleagues and get them onto that loop. And then it, the, the amount of uh, compounded interest uh, for the team and for the company.
1: Yeah. I also think, you know, when you, when you talk about, you know, the individual attitude, the attitude of the team, like a team with a great reputation attracts great talent. A-, a talent wants to go join an A team, and then A team kind of put pressure on B players. And, so sink can, or swim. Yeah, so I really believe, like, when when you create a high-performing sales culture, it's easier to attract
2: new talent as you grow, uh, and it's easy to create a lot of contrast with a lower-performing player.
0: I think that's... Uh, we- well, it's, I'm just trying to think right now. Out of story, activity, mindset, what's the most important? And I'm I'm thinking this mindset, but you know, I I can't tell. There's so much like they all play off of each That's
1: other. Right. They they do, uh, and I'm I'm not sure there's a most important. Uh, you can you can help somebody tell a better story. You can certainly coach somebody into more consistent activity, but I don't think you can fix an attitude. Like I can't coach you to be taller and I don't think I can coach your belief system.
2: Yeah. that's just will per- take,
0: it will take too long to do, to do it.
1: Right. So, I think of the most important because I think it's the most, the most permanent of the three, you know, is that attitude. You want to hire people that are coachable, hardworking, you, you know, you want to hire the right attitude that have the right competency to learn your talk track,
2: to learn your activity or your playbook. I've always
0: told people, you know, if there's not a fit because of attitude and it becomes a reoccurring problem after a couple times on -on one-on-ones, time to cut cord and let loose, no matter how good of a player they are.
2: Nothing's more important than preserving your culture and honoring your values. There can be no values violation. Out of all three of this, the
0: story, activity, mindset, for an early stage founder, what would you say is your number one tip?
2: So
1: I give you, I think, a tip for each stage uh, because I, I don't think there's just one. I think, you know, with the, with the mindset, Every hire is critical early stage. You know, there's no room for extra people or people that can't at least pull their own weight, if not more. So I think hiring the right attitude matters, like more than anything. Like you got to get people on the bus that want to be on the bus uh, beyond a job, beyond a, beyond a profession that are really there because not only do they have all the competencies, abilities, and desire, but they really believe in what you're doing. Because you need people that really believe in what you're doing uh, because it's going to take extra to make it win. Uh, On the story, like, you got to come up with some common language. You got to come up with a narrative uh, that everyone tells. It's like there's one story and everyone in the organization has to be able to tell it. It, It's like who you are. Like, everyone in the family can tell the same family story. Uh, (laughs) And then on, you know, on the activity side, is like don't cut corners. You got to do the hard work.
2: Yeah, you you do. You got to you do the hard work. You're going to get the results, but you have to do the hard work.
0: I like that, especially in this day with all the tools, like you said. Uh, the tools are there to help you, not take work away. It frees up your time so that you can do the other bits that take more time that are more important.
1: Yeah, listen. Ideally, the tools allow you to have even more conversations.
2: Okay. All the importance of having the story right.
0: Yeah. Matt, this has been extremely helpful. Uh, I know I took, I took a few notes that I'm going to start uh, to implement right away. How can people reach out to you and get to know if they will have more questions or get to know you?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, Matt Millen on LinkedIn. I love to connect, love to what I call talk shop, uh, just, you know, wherever it may be. So. Please, please connect and share your story and uh, let's have a conversation.
0: Great. I'll put a uh, a link in the show notes for everyone listening so they could just one click and get straight to your profile. Matt, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Uh, Pleasure to be here with you, Adam.
0: Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.